So after um, Jeff's sledgehammer watermelon thing last week, did you think I was going to come up here with nothing? No way. So I'm taking golf lessons. So far, I've only had a tour of the clubhouse. It was my best day out so far. And a little putting lesson. But can I just tell you something? Can I just tell you guys kind of a secret? Golf makes me so tired. The minute I start playing, I can just think about my pillow and my bed and why I'm not there. Me and Tiger. Golf makes Tiger tired too sometimes. I love this look on his face. Here's why golf makes me tired. The harder you try, the worse you are. Golf is a paradox. See? I try super hard at it, and I just stink. So with my personality, then, the only option is in my head is to keep trying but that much harder, which only causes me to stink that much more. I hate paradox. I'm just not that kind of a person. But I am going at the sport of golf again because soon we will be without children in our home for the first time in 24 years. And Chuck loves golf, and I love Chuck. So I will suffer. And I bet he will too, just a little tiny bit. (laughs) Now, why do I tell you this, aside from the fact that I'm competing with Jeff Mickey? I tell you this because faith in Jesus is a little bit like golf. It's a paradox. And sometimes the harder you and I try, the more human effort we exert toward being successful in our faith, the worse we do. And Jesus used paradox when he spoke all the time. The first will be last and the last will be first. You will find your life when you give it away. You know, and I want to look this morning at one of his most famous paradoxical statements. But this paradox, unlike the paradox of golf, doesn't make me weary. In fact, the last few weeks I've spent studying these words of Jesus have, have really motivated me and made me very excited about what I get to share this morning with you. So if you, if you will remember, we're in our fifth or sixth week of this summer series, I don't know, called Jesus Said, where we're looking at the words and the teachings of Jesus. Because that is our purpose as a church, to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And so in order to fully devote yourself to following someone, You need to know who he is and what he said and what he taught and how he wants us to live. And so I want us to remember that Jesus was Jewish. Is this a shock to anybody? (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) He was 100% Jewish. And he was a rabbi, a teacher. And he used Jewish phrases when he spoke. And he practiced the art of Jewish discourse. And he lived in a Jewish Context in a Middle Eastern culture. And it is good for us to understand his words in light of these truths about him. And that's what we're going to do with the passage of this morning. We're going to look at each one of these phrases that he said in light of the context in which he spoke. And I hope that it will come to light or in a fresh new way or go deeper for you in a way you haven't thought of before. And as we do this, I want you to remember one thing. A rabbi 
uh, never spoke with the goal of simply imparting information. Never. That was never his purpose. He always taught in such a way that he would impact the life of anyone listening to him. And Jesus did this. He always relentlessly pressed people to some kind of a decision based on his teaching. Follow me, don't follow me. You know, become my student, don't become my student. Forgive this person or don't forgive that person. Give your money away or don't give your money away. Over and over. No one ever listened to Jesus and then said, Hey, Jesus, thanks for that thought-provoking message. You want to go to bishops? He, they never did. Do you know what bishops is? Do half of you not know what I'm talking about? My grandma was a pastor's wife. She was always going to bishops to get the jello salad. So this morning, this passage we're going to look at, remember, it's always an invitation asking for a response. This is what Jesus said. Oh, my goodness. In the end of the book of Matthew... The end of the chapter 11 in the book of Matthew. This is what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, And my burden is light. So how would people have heard that when Jesus actually spoke those words? What would these words have meant to his listeners? That's the question I want to answer. Come to me, Jesus said. Not to a religion or to a church or to a set of rules, but come to me. Note, Jesus doesn't even say, come to God. Come to me, he said. And that word come simply means what it sounds like. It means to move from here to there. It means to move from wherever you are, if you're listening to Jesus, to wherever Jesus is. So Jesus is asking in these first three words for movement, for change, for some kind of response. He says to the people, come to me, get to me. And this so reminded me as I read it and studied it of my kids when they were little. It would be a summer day like this and they'd be like running down the sidewalk, look at me, mommy, and they'd fall down and like rip their kneecap off, basically. Do you remember that if your kids are not not still little? And there was this brief moment of silence right after this happened where that child was going to cry and they were going to cry hard. Here's a little picture, (laughs) right? Now look at that. It's quiet. This quiet moment when their mouth was wide open, their eyes were squished suck, squished suck. (laughs) Oh boy. And no noise would come out of their mouth yet because they were still sucking in oxygen to prepare for what was to come. And in that painful but quiet moment, I would say to them as I held out my arms, get to me, just get to me. They couldn't see me, you know, because their eyes were shut. So they had to follow my voice. And I only had a brief moment to, to, to help them hear me before they started to scream. And so I would say, get to me, come to me. Even if your eyes are not are closed and you cannot see me and you cannot believe the pain that you are experiencing, just follow my voice and just move toward me and get to me. 
Because I can help you with whatever it is that's causing you to cry. I can ease your pain. I can start to solve your problems. So instead of wandering around, flailing your arms, crying in pain, child, would you just get to me? Come to me, Jesus said. All you who are weary and burdened. That's the one qualification. I think I can meet that standard. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And the word weary here is in the present tense, which, which means it has this idea of, of the constant sense of someone being exhausted, an unceasing sense of tiredness. And the word burdened has this idea at its heart uh, that at some point in the past, a weight had been placed upon a person. And that person was going to continue to try to carry that weight. So together, those words described a person constantly exhausted from trying to carry a heavy burden they had assumed somewhere in their past. And Jesus' hearers, when he put these two words together, knew exactly what or to whom I should say he was referring to. Further on in the Gospel of Matthew, this is what Jesus said in uh, chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Jesus was talking to people who are trying to walk in the ways of the religious leaders of their day. Good people. God-fearing people trying really hard to do the right thing. And they were burning out left and right, trying to please God by their own efforts at good behavior. If you would forgive me, these people are trying to play golf by trying really, really hard. And it is not working for them. These were people who believed that when it came to God, the harder you tried, the better you did. But they were exhausted. We're not like that, right? We've come so far from where the Pharisees were when Jesus spoke to them. I read a survey the other day that said 82% of self-professed Christ followers say this, that the Christian life is best summed up as trying really hard to keep God's commands. 82% of us. At the same time, almost 60% of self-professed Christians agree with this statement. I don't feel like I measure up to God's expectations of me. So get this, 82% of us believe that the main thrust of Christianity is trying really hard to keep God's commands, and 60% of us feel as if we're doing a really horrible job at it. These statistics remind me of my golf game. And they frankly just make me super tired. And I wonder if anyone here this morning feels weary and burdened, 
constantly exhausted by some religious weight that you have been carrying for a long time. Maybe you yourself put it on your own back. Maybe the church you went to as a child put it on your back. Maybe some other person did. And you're trying so hard. And yet you know deep down inside that you're failing. Come to me, Jesus said. All you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Isn't that such a nice statement? Don't you just kind of picture yourself in a pool with a floaty and a cool drink reading a magazine? Or if you're a guy sitting in a fishing boat doing what you do, fish. (laughs) Boring. However, There's this theologian named Frederick Bruner that I've been reading. And he said this. He said, Jesus often spoke in a kind of a code. And it was understandable to those people around him who were steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the scriptures backward and forward, many of them by heart. And Jesus' words were often direct or indirect references from the Old Testament, the scriptures that he lived in. And so this phrase, I will give you rest, comes from the book of Exodus in a conversation that Moses was having with God as he was trying to lead God's people through the wilderness. This is Moses speaking to God. Exodus 33. If you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. He's pleading with God for the nation. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you. And what does he say? And I will give you rest. Now, can you see why the Pharisees went through the roof when Jesus did this kind of stuff? We think, what are they so mad about? We read it and think it's like a nice statement. But to his listeners, Jesus was speaking with words that only God used. And he was saying, if you just come to me, you can stop all your religious striving, all the exhausting efforts to pretend you are good. You can drop those burdens you've been carrying for years, all your religious performance so other people can admire you. It is as if Jesus was just saying to them, using the authoritative voice of God, why don't you just stop? And what Jesus offers here is a kind of rest that can come to a human being when they finally understand they do not have to prove themselves worthy anymore. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. That's rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he starts the same invitation again, but at a deeper level. He's going to explain what he means. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So now he's answering the question, how does a person come to me? You trust that his yoke is the right yoke and you put it on and you agree to become his student. And I read that at first and I thought, well, okay, but what does that mean? What is a yoke anyway? doesn't sound very restful to me. Like, what? This is why I don't like paradox. Can you tell? 
So this is where it's really important for us to understand that Jesus very often used turns of phrase or idioms that were relevant to the hearers at his time and to the culture in which he was speaking. So scholars say that a rabbi would call his approach to the scriptures his yoke. That is, the tools that he used as he explained the Old Testament scriptures to his students the tools that he used to make those scriptures practical and applicable to real life, because that's what rabbis did. They offered various interpretations of scripture. And so a pupil enrolling for instruction under a rabbi is considered to be coming under that rabbi's yoke. So this is this is an idiom as well. So it's a phrase that developed from a literal picture of a wooden yoke. And there are at least two different kinds of yokes. Don't put the pic- Johnny, don't put the picture up yet. Thank you. Isn't that cool? Did you see that? So one of those yokes was used to connect two oxen together. Oxen? Ox. Oxens. Together to plow a field. <laughs> you know, you'd put it on the two of them, hook them together, and they could pull your plow or whatever. But there's another kind of yoke, now you can put it up, that people carried on their own shoulders that allowed them to carry two buckets of water at the same time. Johnny asked me, how did I get Dick Hensley to pose for that photograph? (laughs) I gave him a free yoke. (laughs) And get this. I love this. This is brilliant. The rabbis, those who taught the Old Testament scriptures to their followers, called the text, they called the Old Testament scriptures living water, which is a phrase you've heard Jesus use too. And so their yoke, their tools, their interpretation was the yoke that helped people to carry that living water to make the text usable and practical and functional. Isn't that brilliant? And so Jesus was saying to the people, you are under a yoke of law and legalism and exclusion of other human beings and trying really hard to earn your way to God. And that yoke is making you weary. Why don't you shake that one off and try mine on for size? And it is a yoke of forgiveness and love and grace and mercy and welcome. You see, Jesus was inviting people not just to be his followers, but to be his disciples, to be his students. That's what the word disciple means. And that is Jesus' primary invitation. The word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament scriptures. And the word disciple or student is used 269 times. Jesus invites human beings to accept his interpretation of the scriptures, to become his lifelong student, and to walk with him in such a way that we learn from him how to really live. And the word learn here, so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That word learn in the original language has, as part of its meaning, this sense of acquiring a habit through practice. Acquiring a habit through practice. So Jesus is saying, I want you to learn from me in such a way that my teachings become your habits until you develop a whole new way of life. Now, this is why we're walking through the book of Matthew 
this summer in our daily scriptures. We are not doing it so that at the end we can say, I read the book of Matthew. How did you do this summer? We're not doing it for that reason. But we're doing that because this is Jesus' invitation. Come to me. Follow me. Become my student. And I want to begin to teach you how to live my way of life. So we are walking through the gospel of Matthew because we believe Jesus actually wants us to live his teachings out until they become our habits. And as I thought of this, I thought I would be guilty of spiritual malpractice if I did not teach this. Jesus never only offered a way to heaven. That's only a part of the good news of the gospel. What Jesus offers here in this text and what he has always offered is a way of life. Yes, a way of eternity. But at the same time and with the same degree of importance, an eternal kingdom way of life right now. That's what he's inviting us into. And it's so important for us to understand this if we're going to have the proper motivation to actually live out Jesus' teachings. Otherwise, we read them and we embroider them on our pillows and we never think another thing about them. But that is never why Jesus spoke the things he spoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am humble and gentle in heart. Jesus, the son of God, is saying, you don't have to be scared to become my student. Just come to me. Broken Weary, burdened as you are, come to me with the full intent of letting me teach you how to really live. And I will not manipulate you or guilt you or shame you like the other teachers of my day. I will treat you gently. This is God. I will treat you gently. And I will act humbly toward you. That should take our breath away. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. What is your soul? I don't have enough time, really, but I have a quick little definition that might help us understand. The late Dallas Willard put it the best, I think. He said, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. The soul is the very life center of a person. It is who you are at the deepest level. And we are people today of the restless soul, aren't we? Disconnected from God, disconnected from others, disconnected from our own self, frantic with busyness and worry and kind of a free-floating anxiety. Our minds are distracted and jumbled, and we often feel disintegrated. We don't feel like a whole being. We don't feel like our lives flow out of any kind of calm, peaceful center. And we try all kinds of ways to fix this out-of-sync feeling. You know, maybe a new diet. We're going to buy a new planner that will make us feel more whole. Maybe, maybe we need a new job or, you know what, maybe just a new marriage. New relationships, new churches. That's always a good one, too, when you have a restless soul. 
maybe new clothes or some kind of a new toy or maybe a new house or maybe even just a new worldview, sometimes even a new face. When all the while the problem lies within. Because we are a people of the restless soul. Which is why St. Augustine said, our souls are restless, O God, until they find their rest in thee. And when Jesus said this phrase and made this promise that you will find rest for your souls, he was again using scriptural code. And those around him who were steeped in the scriptures knew that he was referring to God's word um, found in Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah chapter 6. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find, what does he say? Rest for your souls. Jesus, again, was speaking as only God speaks. And he was saying to the people, I am that ancient path. I am that good way that the prophet Jeremiah talked about. Come to me, take on my yoke, learn from me, and then you will find what you have been seeking your whole life. Rest for your souls. This is what Jesus offers when we take him up on his side of the invitation. He offers human beings an unceasing sense of well-being and rest with regard to our relationship to God forever and ever. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The word easy here means it just it fits you well. It's well-fitting. And he's saying, my way of life, the way of life I've laid out for you in all of my teachings and in all the ways I've interacted with other human beings on this earth, my way of life is just right for the human spirit. You were designed by my Father and created to live in all the ways that I have laid out. If you would just put my yoke on and learn from me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. One little warning. It would be so easy for us to now leave here this morning and think, okay, Now, what she said was that in order to find rest for my soul, I have to work really, really, really hard to do what Jesus said. And the problem with that reaction, which is a quintessentially human reaction, if we do that, we will become as deeply weary as I do when I play golf. I'm just warning you. We will try so hard and we will play so poorly. And so we need to leave this morning instead remembering that the very first thing Jesus invites us to 
is a relationship with him, a relationship of grace and forgiveness and honesty and rest. That's the focus. That's the key. That's the sweet spot. That's what God has been after since we got the boot from the garden. Jesus said, let me, do you hear his words? Come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. He is the focus always, not our hard work. He is the one who said, apart from me, don't even pick up a club. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I will never learn to play golf by just trying really hard. Trust me. What I need to do is get to the pro. I need to confess to him all my past golfing sins, for they are many. And I need to submit to his expertise. I need to sign on as his student. And I need to let him teach me and show me and walk with me. And then I need to rely on him and simply do what he shows me to do. And then I will play golf and I will be at rest. Stay tuned. Let's pray. Jesus, your words are brilliant. Um, They offer us what we want at the very deepest level of the human soul. And you lay them out as clearly as you can, and you make your offer, and you say, would you just come to me? Would you stop trying to do all this on your own? Just come to me. And I want to teach you how to really live. I want to teach you how to live in such a way that you will be at rest at the deepest level of your very soul. I pray, God, this morning that those of us who've never even thought about that kind of an invitation would consider taking you up on it. And those of us who've said yes to this invitation in some time in the past, that we would renew our resolve to become your student and to live in your presence every single day of our lives. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.